Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am thrilled to be with Dr. Rachel Fresco again. Uh, I want to encourage you to circle back if, uh, if you enjoy what you hear today and listen to my conversation with Rachel last year in podcast number 39. Uh, get, let me give you her background and you'll, you'll understand why I think you'll enjoy both of these conversations today. Dr. Fresco is the founder and president of Biobotanical Research. Um, that is the company who designed uh, Biocidin and has since put out a suite of really beautiful products. So in our first conversation, we went through Biocidin and, and, and why we love it. It's one of the workhorse botanical combinations, antimicrobial botanical combinations um, I use here. A lot of my colleagues do as well, um, but they have another, you know, they've got a full suite of, of really pretty creatively designed products. Uh, Dr. Fresco has been in the industry for 30 years, uh, specifically creating botanical formulas used as nutritional support by health professionals in challenging clinical presentations. Her focus has been on concerns relating to infection and the digestive and immune systems. University-based research on her formulas includes studies on Lyme disease, biofilms, and immune response. Informal clinical trials using the formulas are ongoing, uh, examining activity against SIBO, H. pylori, dental infections, candida, and more. Uh, many authors, physicians, laboratories recommend the broad-spectrum formulations such as biocidin, oliverics, GI detox, uh, she developed along with her team of scientists and formulators. Rachel, welcome again to New Frontiers. It's great to have you. Thank you, Cara. It's good to be here again. Yeah. And so, folks, I just, again, want to, I want to say that uh, we've got a good, juicy, foundational conversation, uh, Podcast 39. We'll link to it in the show notes for this podcast. I also have a couple of really nice blogs written by Rachel and her team, and we'll pop those in the show notes as well. One of the cool things about biobotanical research, Rachel's company, is that is they're really committed to data gathering. They've got a lot of industry, excuse me, a lot of university studies happening. They gather clinical data from um, clinician researchers using the product. And, you know, the, the, Dr. Fresco and her team are just always out there kind of pushing the paradigm forward uh, in terms of gathering data. Um, and so today we're really celebrating the, uh, the, the 12, 2018, the December 28, 2018 publication of uh, effectively killing Borrelia burgdorferi in vitro with novel herbal compounds. And so that's uh, the most recent publication uh, using biocidin, and we're going to swing over there and spend the lion's share of this time on that. Uh, but before I do, I just want to clarify. So, Rachel, one of the questions that we have here, since we've got some of your content on your on our site, people are pinging us, and always they're asking us about the biocidin formula the two formulas. You've got the original biocidin formula. It's like this workhorse product that we're using in the practice all of the time. And you also have a, have a liposomal or LSF uh, formula. So before we jump into our conversation, just distinguish, actually give me a snapshot of biocidin for anybody who hasn't heard of it, and then just distinguish those two preparations and how we might use them. Okay, so biocidin is sort of 
the broadest spectrum botanical combination that I could put together. It, it, as nutritional support practitioners use it um, in bacterial, viral, parasitic, um, and basically any situation, including mold, um, where there's a pathogenic organism at play. Um, the design of the formula includes things from the categories of berberine-containing compounds, as well as essential oils um, like oregano and lavender and others, as well as a little bit of support for the immune system. Um, there's antiparasitic specific herbs in there and antioxidant things. And so that's what's interesting about the formula is that because it has such a broad spectrum of ingredients and particularly has effectiveness against biofilms, um, that's why you can use it for so many different things. So the regular biocidin liquid, we think of typically in using uh, for the GI tract because you're going to take that orally, you're going to swallow it, and it's going to be the one that you might use, say, for intestinal issues and dysbiosis. The liposomal form of the biocidin is exactly the same formula that we sent to Quicksilver Scientific and Dr. Chris Jade figured out a way to put our biocidin into a liposomal. So now it can go directly into the bloodstream from the oral cavity. So that's where you get an advantage where you have pathogens outside the GI tract. And my thought at the time of creating it was, I wonder if this would be more effective than the regular biocidin for issues like Lyme because you have intracellular pathogens. And so the liposomes can you know, penetrate through the cell membrane and get to those. And also the fats in the liposomes will have an affinity for the nervous system tissue. Um, and that's where a lot of times the Lyme is hiding. So, so that's kind of the difference. But that being said, I have personally used the liposomal for GI um, problems for myself. I came back from Peru with a parasite and I decided as an experiment to try just using the liposomal and not use the regular and see if it was gonna, enough was gonna get to my stomach right away that it was gonna work. So I used the liposomal biocidin and the GI detox for five days at a pretty high dose because I had pretty acute symptoms. And, um, and then my symptoms were gone and I sent in my stool for a test and I didn't have anything. So I'm convinced that push comes to shove, you probably could use the liposomal for anything as well. Um, it's a little bit more expensive. So if that's an issue and you don't need the liposomal effect, just go with the regular one. But other than that, I, they're kind of interchangeable in some okay. ways. All right, that's good to know. And in, you, folks, we do have a we do have a white paper on biocidin, and that's at podcast thirty nine. But I'm thinking we'll probably just pull some of those links um, over to this podcast. So if you go into the show notes, you'll just find a cornucopia of information on um, biocidin and and the other suite of projects uh, products that Rachel and her team has created. Okay, so. Uh, Rachel, I guess, you know, you've got this study that just came out of, out of the journal, General, General Medicine Open um, in December of 2018, and looking at both of the preparations. So, so, so talk, talk to me about the study. So this was really interesting. I met Leona Gilbert, who's one of the research coordinators for the ILADS, the International Lyme Disease Society, and she had approached me at one of the ILADS meetings a few years back and said, you know, we have tested all these different botanical compounds that are on the market that 
people are uh, claiming might be useful for Lyme. She said, but yours is the only one that we tested that actually had an effect that we could see um, in the in vitro study that we did, like a preliminary study. I'm like, wow, that's great. She goes, well, how would you like to do uh, like a really large study on this? And um, when she told me the price, I just about fell over, you know, so it was a huge chunk. We had never undertaken anything like that. But I thought about it. And I thought, you know what, I just want to know, I want to know, will this really work in the way that we think it might. And so, so she and her team at the University of uh, Uvascula in Finland, they have like a huge Lyme research department there. And they have all the North American strains of Borrelia, as well as all the European strains. Is that so why they can do is that why yeah. it was so, I'm just curious why it was so expensive if it's in vitro. Is it because they used a bunch of different strains and like what, what, what bumped up I the think price? so. And I think she had to pay like a research person for the whole year and they did every experiment three times. Okay. So, you know, really a thorough study. So they repeated each experiment three times and they did a lot of different experiments. So okay. they started out with like minimum inhibitory concentration as well as, and so they did that three times, and then minimum uh, bactericidal, so like the death, you know, rate and, and how long it, you know, they culture it after that up to a month, I think, to see if it stays dead. So it's like the difference, the, it's the difference between yeah. bacterial static and bactericidal, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and they, they did both. Uh, bacteriostatic and bactericidal, and then they looked at the biofilm killing ability or breaking ability. Yep. And then they also looked at efflux pump inhibition, which is the mechanism by which antibiotic resistance happens. Um, so they did studies on efflux pump, and that's what's going to show you where the intracellular penetration is. Like the efflux pump typically in the Borrelia will just spit out whatever antipathogens or antibiotics that you're bringing um, to it. But with the biocidin on board, it shut down that mechanism so that the concentration in the cell can become higher. So that voted well also for combining this with antibiotics for people who need that. Um, so she did that study. Um, and she also did a crossover study with antibiotics. So oh, looking at, yeah, with, which... Would the biocidin help things like, like ceftriaxone or doxycycline to work better? Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, well, there was a lot, but we were, we were happy to be able to do it. And, um, and as the, each parts of the experiment were going on, she was you know, sending me updates. And, right. um, <clears throat> and then she came here to California because she was having a meeting with Igenics. Um, and so she came over and she actually presented to me in person the entire research project and the results at that time. And then she said that they were, you know, going to put it forward for publication. So it's exciting that it finally got published. Um, and, and I think that this is helpful. You know, it's in vitro. It's, it's basically impossible to do this type of study with Lyme these days because the testing methods just haven't been consistent enough wouldn't you say mm -hmm. like getting getting before and after tests from the different companies that are doing um lime testing has been difficult although she did develop this new tickplex test and the tickplex test is more sensitive than other lime tests and also covers the co-infections as well so now we're starting clinical trials using that tickplex test before and after with patients so well, that we can get 
more markers. All right. Well, I want to, I just, I want to move through this in kind of a orderly fashion so we can really look at this study carefully. I remember that you had, you'd mentioned this to me. You've got a lot of research irons in the fire and you mentioned this to me last time and I'm so excited that it's now published and I look forward to seeing all these other investments you've made in research. You know, those studies come, come, continue to come to fruition and I really want to commend you, Rachel, for making the investment. You know, it's a big deal and I, it's just, I think it's really, in, it's important for industry to jump in and do that you know, put money where their, agree, where their mouth is. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to move, you know, integrative and functional medicine forward. And we're not going to do that without being evidence-based. That's right. I asked her, like how many of these other companies that are selling products that are designed for Lyme, you know, have done this kind of research. And she said none. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it is worth the investment yeah. And my company's not just, you know, about profit. It's about making a difference. Yeah. Um, so as long as, you know, as long as we can pay the bills, I'm happy to do the research. And yeah. um, so, so, and, and the new projects we have going forward are really exciting too. And new lab collaborations. I'll tell you oh about my those gosh, maybe when awesome. we finish. Okay. Let me just make a note of that. Okay. So first of all, um, let's talk about, um, you, you, well, we've got a lot to talk about. What, what about the pleomorphic form? So we know Borrelia lives, you know, is able to survive in a bunch of different stages. And they actually looked at pleomorphic forms um, in the study. And so what, it, I guess it seems to me that that was just upping the, challenge of this research study that they undertook. I can see why it was such a big deal as you've outlined all the areas that they looked at and they've also included ple pleomorphic forms. So just speak a little bit about right. that and, and what they saw and what they did and all the background. So, so basically the, the pleomorphic forms that they looked at were the spirochete itself. Mm -hmm. And then what happens when the spirochete goes into the round body Form. Some people call that a cyst, but Leona says it's not really a cyst because it doesn't have the same kind of cell wall as a cyst. So she calls it a round body. Um, so when it goes into the round body, it becomes like a persister type. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a lot more impervious to antibiotics and other things. So it's not a lot of times. It's not, it's like an, in a dormant phase when it's in the round body, correct? Yeah, it's like but it can survive. Yeah, it can survive. So the spirochete basically is swimming along. And in the presence of a threat, like an antibiotic, it will oftentimes curl up into a little ball and like sort of stick there. And, yeah. and then it can stay in that form for as long as it wants until it, it decides to come out again and start becoming active and reproducing. So um, the round body is one of the things that makes Lyme disease hard to treat. Because when you give antibiotics, sometimes you're causing these round bodies to form. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's a push and pull. You're killing off some of the spirochetes, but, you know, you're getting these round bodies. So she looked at <clears throat> what happens when, when the biocidin comes in contact with the spirochete. And what she found that was interesting was that the, biocid the biocidin was able to kill the spirochete, but did not cause it to move into that round body form. It also actually killed the round bodies themselves. It's so a, she was really shocked. That, yeah. So it was like, wow, here's a substance that could actually go after the, the line in its persister form. 
Um, so she did, she, she tested against the spirochetes, the round bodies, and then the biofilms, which I think, you know, everyone yeah. is familiar with that concept. So she's looking at the, the lime in its biofilm form as well. And then there's a sort of in-between stage between the round body and the, the biofilm that's like a bleb stage. Mm-hmm. So she kind of had four different stages that she had outlined to test against. Jeez, that's pretty extraordinary. And, and, and so that was what was exciting is that, that it was working on all the different stages, at least in vitro. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, right, we know right. from clinical reports that patients are feeling better and that their symptoms have improved. And there's been a lot of, of positive talk about that. Dr. Horowitz basically told me he gives it to every patient. Um, and I think he mentioned it a lot of times in his most recent book Does he use well. it? He, but he uses it, I'm assuming, with antibiotics. Yeah, so he's, he's, as you know, his protocols are very antibiotic-centered, mm-hmm. um, and which for some people may be completely necessary and probably is. Some people who ha- have developed an intolerance to the antibiotics then may be particularly looking for something that could be antimicrobial that's not an antibiotic. Um, yes. But it seems that, that the use of the biocidin with antibiotics is helpful because it's breaking the biofilms, so it's making the antibiotics be able to reach those areas of pathogens, and it's increasing the intracellular um, concentration. Mm-hmm. So potentially, you could use less antibiotics right. um, and get the same effect if you have something that's shutting down that efflux pump on board. And so that's what we found in the antibiotic crossover part of the study was that in the presence of biocidin, the drug ceftriaxone could be used at like an eighth of the amount to get the same kill rate. Um, So of course this is in vitro, you know, and we need to, you know, have more doctors giving us feedback, you know, of of using this clinically, but that voted well, at least that, you know, potentially you could use less with doxycycline, it didn't seem to make a difference. It didn't hurt the doxycycline. It didn't make it any better, which was curious. So it's, it must be different ways that those drugs are, are acting. Well, and, and um, interacting with, yeah, with the, yeah, that's right, right. And with the, with the biocidin present as well. Right. So can you extrapolate the dosing that um, Gilbert used in these studies to what would be used in vivo in um, humans? think you can extrapolate it because you know it's like it's like doing a sensitivity study in a hospital for looking yeah, yeah. which antibiotic you can use it doesn't yeah. really the amount that they're using in the petri dish doesn't really relate to the body um but it was good to know that in some cases only like one to 25 in dilution that's pretty diluted right yeah, yeah um yeah. was needed that i think one to 25 in the biofilms so that was like, oh, that was interesting. Um, and so it kind of varied from right. one to and 10. That, and that specifically was, that specifically was the um, liposomal, correct? I think both of them. Um, both of them, she, were, she tested both both of them were effective there? Yeah, both of them were effective. The one that, that really significantly showed better effectiveness was on the intracellular penetration and that's where the liposomal biocidin was like twice as effective as regular biocidin. But regular biocidin was twice as effective as the control. So even regular biocidin was helping. Um, 
but the liposomal even more so. Okay. All right. Isn't that interesting? Um, all right. So then just remind me what, what you would consider to be and what you hear from clinicians using uh, biocidin, what, how they're dosing it in their Lyme patients. So with Lyme, as you know, there can be big die-off happening. And it depends on where people are in their treatment and how sensitive they are. But we recommend any new patient starting out on biocidin. They may want to start with the regular biocidin before moving up to the liposomal if they're very sensitive and they're known for reacting because the liposomal is going to hit harder um, and quicker. That being said, the liposomal, a lot of times we'll say take one pump and put it in about five ounces of water. And then basically each teaspoon of that water is going to equivalent out to about one drop of biocidin. So maybe you're going to only take one teaspoon that first time and see how you react. And if you're okay, take another teaspoon of the water at the point that you could drink that whole five ounces without having any horrible die off, you could start to take it directly orally um, and move up to another pump a day. So you just have to go per the person's tolerance. There's really no one way to do it. Some people can move up very quickly on using it and take, you know, multiple pumps of liposomal biocidin at a time without any huge reaction. And other people are like on the floor after the slightest amount of it. So that's why we have the GI detox on board because if someone is having a big die-off reaction, using a binder will help calm that down. It'll help mop up the toxins that are dying off. You know, because not just Lyme may be present, but this person may also have a lot of dysbiosis um, that you're killing off too. Well, what's um, in, so? Yeah, absolutely. And tell me what's in the GI detox and why you're recommending it like that. So the GI detox has um, zeolite clay as well as MMST silica. Mm -hmm. So this, the MMST silica really helps bind things like metals. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes, it makes this formula good for xenobiotic things as well um, that could be in the system that you may be detoxing. Um, and then we've got the pectin in there from apple right. yep. and um, the, the um, humic fulvic acid yep. as well. Um, and so the formula basically kind of, and of course the activated charcoal. So, and we, I think we put a little bit of aloe in there as well, just to, to provide a little bit more moistening for the gut and to help people. A lot of times will get constipated with binders. Although this okay. formula is less constipating than like something like bentonite could be. Mm -hmm. So what we always recommend with the, with the GI detox that you take it with a large glass of water. And of course, normally it's taken away from any other supplements or food <clears throat> like an hour or so after the biocidin. But if someone's in the middle of a bad die-off reaction, you can just take it right then and there and that'll help put a stop to it. Okay, perfect. Okay, so, so I just want to run through this. You're recommending... People, so people can start with the, with the um, classic biocidin formula, the non-liposomal formula, if, if, uh, in particular if you're concerned about a die-off. And it's, they're both liquid, so they're super easy to microdose. You, in my patients, I use the classic formula a lot because we do a lot of gut stuff here. And I'll, I'll have folks just start with a drop. 
some folks, I would say most of my patients, I can increase pretty quickly. And then I'll go up to up to 10 drops TID for different gut, gut issues. Um, and sometimes people, I'll just say, I'll let people just kind of increase uh, as they determine they can tolerate exposure to the biocidin. Um, but that's the classic and that's in gut issues. So if we're really concerned about die off, we could start with the classic in our Lyme patients, but the liposomal formula really seems to be the stronger, perhaps the more, the more potent intervention. And this study that was just published, which incidentally will be on the website, um, bears out what you were thinking all along, Rachel, which is pretty amazing. And then you're recommending one drop into five ounces of water, as a, or excuse me, one pump into five ounces of water, and then take just a teaspoon uh, to establish how you can tolerate it. If you have a die-off, though, uh, grab the GI detox and take that immediately to help just uh, sop up the endotoxins and all the debris. Um, generally speaking, though, you're recommending GI detox in an hour or a couple of hours away from the liposomal biocide and, um, to just keep things moving along. Right. Is that correct? Did I get right. that? Well, the biocide products are typically taken before meals, like a half an hour before a meal. <clears throat> and so you've now you've eaten, so you need to wait until there's not food in your stomach before taking the GI detox detox if you're you know trying to target the toxins and not mop up things in your food yeah so okay um so that's why but like if you've taken the liposomal you can take biocidin any time of the day it doesn't really matter but we've just made it we tried to make it easy for people to to include in their daily routine by saying let's do it half an hour before meals and then then that gives you time in between meals to do the gi detox and then the um the Proflora 4R is the new <clears throat> spore-forming probiotic with the anti-inflammatory pharmaceutical quercetin added. And I like that for pretty much everyone, Lyme patients or, or people with gut issues, because that quercetin is really calming things down in the gut and elsewhere in the body. So if you have pain, inflammation, mast cell response, allergies, having that quercetin on board is going to help no matter what. And the spore-forming uh, probiotics have been shown to really help modulate um, the, the flora and the immune system in the gut. So uh, that one can be taken any time um, of the day. I find it convenient for myself just to take it at bedtime, but <clears throat> you can take it any time. And so the protocol that when we put it together in the whole kit, what I would typically want to recommend for a person who has chronic Lyme is to do the comprehensive program, which is a two-month kit. And so it gives you enough of all of the formulas to get you through two months. And um, the reason we added Olivirex, the olive leaf combination, to that protocol um, was a lot of times when people are tested who have Lyme, they have reactivated viral components to their, their problem now. So something about having Lyme, maybe it's the stress on your immune system or whatever, but these people will show, you know, EBV, CMV, herpes family viruses. Um, so having some additional antiviral support is helpful. Mm -hmm. So, but we start off with just the biocidin because we don't want to overwhelm them, right? So we start with the biocidin. And then once they're doing well on that, and they've been doing that with the GI detox, they could, they could at any time put the proflora in. And then if they want to address viral issues as well, then they add in the olivirex at the same time as the biocidin of the day. So it makes it easy for them to do. Okay, good. All right. 
terrific. Um, listen, I wanted to just circle back to biofilm and ask you, um, you talked about at the beginning the, you know, the various botanicals and their indications, but what botanicals in the biocidin product are, have been shown active against biofilm? Which are the strong ones? Well, you know what's kind of interesting? So many of them do. It's almost like without even knowing it, when I created the biocidin formula, I created like a biofilm super formula because years went by, you know, like 20 something years after making the biocidin that the research online on PubMed came out about biofilms. So if you look at like the plant tannin category, like the walnut, for example, um, that's shown to inhibit efflux pumps um, and things like the essential oil components all break the lipid coating of the biofilms and stop them from adhering. And um, things like garlic uh, inhibit quorum sensing that right. stops the formation of biofilm. Uh -huh. And so, um, and then the OPC category also stops the swarming motility or the movement or growth of the biofilms. So there's so many different ingredients. Almost every single ingredient in biocidin works against biofilms. I don't know if there's one that's any more notable than any other, but the overall combination together just hits all those different areas. That's um, right. And I think that's why, yeah, it's really cool. And the University of Binghamton was the first study we did on biofilms. And what was interesting is that if you look at the, the death curve of the biofilm, in the University of Binghamton study and the death curve in Dr. Gilbert's study online, it was exactly the same type of death curve. It's like, wow, that's really good. This is backing up this other research, that wow. this is the way that the biofilms work on, on the biofilms. Within pretty much 24 hours, they're wiped out. Um, wow. and, and then they, called, they both did the 28-day cultures, and none of them came back. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? It's, it it's, it's just, it, I guess I'm not entirely clear on why concurrent antibiotics with the kind of research that's coming out, except that this is in vitro and you still, you know, you, you're, you're still going to have to demonstrate this in vivo. Are there any animal studies in the pipeline? No, I, I don't do animal studies. I mean, other than give my own dogs biocidin and horses. In fact, we have a whole barn right now of horses that got exposed to some weird virus. A horse had been shipped from the East Coast and it arrived and two days later it had 105 fever and we were like ice packing it and giving it biocidin and giving it olivirex. And, um, and then one by one, several other horses in the barn came down with it. And the biocidin and the olivirex is all we used. And we were able to, you know, make the horses comfortable with something like banamine, um, which basically stops them from colicking, but then um, using the antimicrobials to address the virus. And um, because the vets didn't have anything, you yeah. know, that would really work anyway on viruses. So, um, and, and so, yeah, but like doing testing on, on rats or things like that, it's just ethically, I, I'm, an animal lover, so I'm against animal testing. But I do have a study right now in conjunction with Armin Labs, and Armin Labs is yep. the lab that is supplying the Tickplex test. And um, Armin Schwartzbach is, you know, just a wonderful human being. I think he's helping so many people with Lyme and helping so many doctors um, understand the research. And so they're providing us the tests um, at their cost. 
so that we can do more clinical studies. So if there are doctors listening who have um, a practice where they're seeing a lot of Lyme patients and want to participate, just get in touch with me um, and I'll put you through to our, our research coordinator, Angela Chilcott, and she's helping set up the study. That's wonderful. All right. And we can include in the show notes uh, your contact information. Okay. Let me just okay, make good. a note. Um, mm -hmm. All right. I want to talk to you about co-infections. You kind of swept over that in the beginning, but obviously there are multiple tick-borne infections. And, you know, are, they, are you recommending this protocol for co-infections? I mean, comment on that. Well, <clears throat> Unfortunately, we haven't had any um, in vitro testing yet on the co-infections, but the physician reports <clears throat> on Babesia and Bartonella have been good. <clears throat> we had a Babesia patient with like unrelenting gut pain. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> um, she had unrelenting gut pain and um, after using the biocidin olivirex, she was basically able to go back to work. Um, so the feedback has been good, and I would love to see some testing. Um, I think that it may be possible for us to do some Bartonella testing through Galaxy Labs. I've talked to Dr. Mogiani about this in the past, and he said that he thinks that they may be more open to doing it now. Um, so then we'll proceed with that. Okay. But as I said, anybody who's listening, if you, you, if you have any way to do this type of thing, yeah. come and contact us. And also, because the TickPlex test, covers all the co-infections, we're going to see that as part of our Lyme study anyway. So yeah. we're going to see what's happening with these patients that are testing positive for co-infections. Okay, so you're inviting clinicians to reach out to you who want to be doing some clinical research with their patient population, and they'll be using the biobotanical protocol. Can they use that with their, yes. with their other interventions? I think so, because I, I don't think it's fair to the patients. Yeah, I don't want to use patients as guinea pigs. Um, whatever the doctor thinks is appropriate for that patient, and we'll just write it up. You know, this is just a okay. way for other clinicians to look at what other clinicians have done and what's working for them. So whether that's including other things um, or not. Okay, okay. And, and then you Yeah, she, she had such bad neurological Lyme. She was in a wheelchair. And she had done many types of interventions, including IV ozone and the high vitamin C protocol. Um, and she still had gotten a lot better, but she still had tachycardia and um, an inability to really be mobile. And, and what was um, I, you cut? You cut off at the very beginning. What what was what was the what was her issue? What was her infection? Was it Lyme co-infection? Yeah, yeah, she had like neurological symptoms Neuro of Lyme. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So she had been in a wheelchair. Okay. And, um, and she said after getting on the liposomal biocidin within six weeks, almost a hundred percent of her symptoms resolved and that she was functional and not having any of the symptoms that she had had. So that was, you know, so if you do have patients that have neurological signs, that would be a good one to test out. Um, with the liposomal biocidin. The good news is, is that these products can't hurt anyone anyway. And so if there's potential that it can help, it's worth trying. You know, we can't make any claims or any guarantees to anyone. These are nutritional supplements, but we can say, hey, there has been at least some positive feedback um, on these areas. And I know that for 
for chronic Lyme patients, neurological problems is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And I just really, again, want to, I'm just so psyched of the amount of commitment, you know, and effort you guys are making to getting your stuff in in vitro research and in the university setting and, you know, kind of holding the branch down for clinicians out there um, to have access to your products, access to Armin testing, which, uh, you know, I think has a has a good and growing reputation in our space um, now. But where is where do you where where is all this content housed? How do clinicians actually access these case reports and you know the studies and so forth? So um, the physicians can contact us, and when they set up a professional account with us, then several things happen. They get access to um, our uh, Distributor in the Netherlands, Dr. Jeroen Haas, he's a big Lyme researcher and autism researcher himself, and he's the president of the Orthomolecular Society in the Netherlands. So he set up a website with a lot more clinical information than we can share in the U.S. And, um, and so we give you access to his site um, and the password to get in there. And also our team of doctors, we have several naturopaths and MDs on staff who do clinical training and answer questions. And so they, they will kind of handhold physicians into learning to use these things in their practice. Um, so, you know, we have good, good support uh, for practitioners who need more information. And then um, you can download from that site in the Netherlands all of the white papers, the research papers, and you can look at, <clears throat> um, he has a chart, like a head-to-toe chart, that shows, you know, different aspects of use of biocide because you know, you know, it can be basically used for anything from head to toe, right. whether it's you know, a sinus infection or a UTI or yeah. any anywhere in between the body. You yeah. know, you can apply this. And so some of those um, practitioner feedback of how they've used it is on that site. And we covered and also, a we covered we. Co- we covered a lot of that on our first podcast. So the very yeah. broad indications like intranasal biocidin um, and looking at Marcon's and, you know, just chronic sinusitis, allergic sinusitis, infectious, you know, just the whole, and, and I think we, we discussed UTIs, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to say that. So all of that is there as well as on your podcast. And we, we've gotten even some more um, lab tests back recently um, using the Great Plains new mycotoxin test, okay. we were able to find a, a, one little kid, poor thing, had horrible sinus issues, and the, his, his mold markers were off the charts on that test. And after the, the treatment with the biocide intranasally as well as orally, um, it showed zero. He was cleared. And all of the symptoms were gone. So, so it, you know, things like that, we keep trying to add to our um, clinical training slides that we go over with doctors. So we basically do like a half an hour, go through each of the products and how they're used and, and some of the before and after labs we've seen. Yeah. So, and I want to say, because you're talking about using it for so many different indications, to the skeptic, they're going to be saying, you know, what is this, a panacea, you know, you know and, and, and just be dubious. But I just, I want to remind folks the power, the power of, you know, multiple botanical combinations. I guess I would say that. And I would also say, 
um, you know, a, a, again, the fact that you're committed to in vitro research at the university setting, um, you know, and then gathering this body of, of clinical research as well. So um, it can say, you know, it, the botanicals, antimicrobial botanicals have a very, very long history um, for you know, broad spectrum indication, you know, just being effective at addressing microbes and who, you know, are involved in a lot of different um, uh, phenotypic presentations. Uh, That's right. Listen, and I, I want to, as we're, we're just kind of coming to the end of our time, and you've, you were just, you were mentioning a couple of other studies I wanted to swing back and ping you on. Um, one of them in particular, you mentioned looking at Secretary IGA at the University of Louisiana. So what, what the heck is that about? So that was exciting. Dr. Bilar at the University of Louisiana reached out to me because he is an advisor to the Olympic team. And he deals also with a lot of elite sports um, athletes in the NFL and um, university athletes. And he was faced with the problem of athletes and marathon runners and people like that. Their secretory IgA is suppressed and they get yeah. upper respiratory tract infections. Yep. And yep. so he wanted to know, would Biocidin be helpful with that? And so he proposed a study, which thankfully wasn't so expensive. Um, and uh, he did a placebo-controlled study, I think with like 23 uh, athletes. And they would measure their SIGA after exertion, and it would be suppressed. And then they would give them the biocidin in the throat spray form, um, you know, 10 minutes after exertion, and then <clears throat> another 60 minutes later. And what they found was a 66% increase in the SIGA. So that means the immune system was really responding a lot better. Um, and so he published that study and it just got published in, in November. So I will send you a copy of that one as well. And so that, that is interesting because Dr. Haas in the Netherlands had done studies on SIGA in the gut. And he had seen that in patients whose SIGA was low, it had come up but also that patients that were overreactive, their, their SIJ was too high, it came down. So it seems like the, the biocidin formula could be maybe considered to be a modulator and adaptogenic in its effect. So, um, but I'm excited about the throat spray and um, for that reason, uh, for people, we, we all know how much we love it during cold and flu season and we keep it in our briefcases and so forth. Um, and I keep it by my bed at night. If you wake up in the middle of the night with a little sore throat, you just spray it. And in the morning, a lot of times you wake up and, and it's gone. Um, and, and then the other study that we're doing right now is on the oral microbiome. So we did a pilot study and we found that there were like 35 different pathogens in a patient's root canal cavitation, including HPV, including amoebas, and including a whole host of really nasty antibiotic resistant type bacteria. Uh -huh. And with swishing with the liposomal biocidin, they were able to reduce the pathogen load in a short period of time, like four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, um, that they were tested back at, um, down to like only three organisms, and most of those were normal oral bacteria. So now we're gonna do a larger study um, and hopefully publish on um, oral DNA pathogens. And so the, the liposomal biocidin was basically, I turned it into an oral specific product 
um, by adding clove, myrrh, um, CoQ10, and quercetin um, to it. And that way, it's really, really focused on the periodontal disease and the oral cavity. And so, when, and we put the biocidin in a toothpaste. And so, that, those products are called dental sidin. And um, getting rave reviews from dentists. And uh, so, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting something published on that front. Jeez, that's really exciting. Dr. Fresco, thank you so much for joining me again on New Frontiers and thrilled to hear about this research. I'll, I look forward to you coming back in 2020 with another stack of papers and lots of inspiration to share with us. <laughs> thank you for having me, Kara. Absolutely. Oh, incidentally, folks, uh, please leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying what you're hearing from New Frontiers. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining us.